Hello Hackers, my name is Dominic Norton and I am the podcast host of Hackathon Entertainment, the show where we bring you the story behind every hack. For those new to the show or hackathons in general, a hackathon is a collaborative 48-hour event where participants called hackers come together to solve the world's toughest problems. You'll be surprised, excited and amazed with the solutions people are developing all across the world. If you listened to the show before, you'll be excited to know we're in for another great one. In this episode, I spoke to Alexander Nolte, Associate Professor at the University of Tartu, Adjunct Associate Professor at Carnegie Mellon University. We discussed his thoughts on hackathons, from research papers he's published titled You Hacked and Now What? Exploring Outcomes of a Corporate Hackathon and How to Support Newcomers in Scientific Hackathons An Action Research Study on Expert Mentoring I hope you enjoy the show Afterwards, as a postdoc, I moved to the States. I moved to Pittsburgh. And um, there I quickly realized that what I had been working on before was kind of not interesting to anyone there. (laughs) And I just, you know, I was just sort of scrambling to find something to do because my wife had actually gotten a job there and I didn't have one. So when I came with her, I was like, okay, so what the hell? I'm going to find something. So through that, I came in contact with the civic hackathons. That was sort of my my first thing there because they had, I mean, there was this big initiative around uh, open data. So I I got in contact with a bunch of folks that were just sort of grabbing all these data sets and were basically trying to find good use for them. So they were like, on the one hand, they were sort of curating it and trying to put it somewhere where people can access it. But then they also wanted people to do something with it. Right. So that's basically how I came first into that to that scene and then i got this postdoc position at um at the carnegie mellon university there and then i started to sort of do research on this more seriously and i mean there's there's a bunch of interesting aspects but the sort of main ones that interested me the most was um people go to these hackathons they do interesting and cool stuff and then people go home and this interesting and cool stuff somehow <laughs> disappears yes yeah. And I always and I always found that a little bit of a waste. And it's it's, it's not only it's not only the, the things that they create, it's also the skills that they learn, it's the networks yeah. they build. It's all like it's it's very temporary. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, we can we can do a better job of like trying to understand the underlying mechanisms of what's going on and build hackathons more in a way that whatever comes out of that is more sustainable and has more impact. Yeah. And part of that was also the the question about diversity because i always when i talk to people that don't know hackathons i always tell them look uh, i can tell you what the prototypical hackathon participant is (laughs) 20 to 35 year old white male straight computer science student yeah right and i mean that's 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 kind of it's kind of not good enough is it especially if we're thinking about the civic (laughs) space i mean in the corporate space that's probably your demographic of the average programmer anyway sadly yeah but especially in the civic space we have to be a bit better than that so yeah, I mean, 
for, for me, the interest really started from this idea of pushing things out and trying to get more sustainability of whatever what's going on. But the deeper you look, the more you realize that it also depends on who you who you invite to the event, how you how you scope it, how yeah. you get people in contact with each other. There's so many different things about yeah. this. Like, I mean, the one thing you, you you mentioned sort of casually that you go with your friends, but you but you go to different teams. Yeah. That's 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 super interesting because one of the most striking things for me when we went to this to this Microsoft hackathon, they had eight thousand people on site, and we were we were we were a team of five people, and everyone was sort of staying with one team because we wanted to sort of look in depth for what was going on there. Yeah. And one of the things that we found is the teams barely <laughs> interacted with each other. But we uh, well, working, at least at you're least working in your team, but outside, like the space is there, all these people are there, but no one really exploits that. At least what I found, so there's there's a couple things there. At least what I found is on the facilitators. It's how they facilitate engagement with their participants. Think about a corporation. It's how the leaders, the leaders could mix teams up and try and put match talent together. and Because that's your role. You can oversee everything and you can connect people in a way. But it, the facilitators have to actively do this. And if they don't, we, act- we actually. Sorry to interrupt you. We actually did this once in a hackathon. We organized one and we mixed teams halfway through in order to facilitate that. Yeah. You know what? What happened? They hated it. <laughs> they go. They absolutely people- hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because pe- it's it's weird. There's a weird balance, right? You want organic connections to happen, but you also want to create an environment where it's just not the same organic connections that would always happen. So, whereas I'm, I'm black, I might naturally gravitate to someone who looks like me, but then again, I like, I like certain types of music, and I never know there's someone else in the... There, there might be a woman that likes the same type of music, and that is what brings us together to work on a project, but the facilitator has to really really have it it's really an art bringing and this is what i'm finding about innovation and technology bringing people together and really utilizing talent is a is a very difficult art and like you said you, you see mostly the same kind of stereotypical t- typical people at hackathons some organizers have i spoke to they've done a b testing in the marketing so the way you market is really important if you yeah. market about oh you know I saw there was a university that partnered with IBM to do stuff in the quantum development realm. And if you pitch it like that, you're going to get 80% of the population not even interested, don't know what quantum is. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it actually starts with the term hackathon. Yeah, because yes. <laughs> a lot of people still have it in their mind that when you say hacking, it means that you're trying to break something. Yes. And on top of that, it means that you have to be an IT buff. Yeah. in order to go anywhere because a lot of people don't go because they think oh we're not good enough i mean the yeah. the, the, the funny thing that you mentioned about this about this all-female hackathon in pittsburgh there has been this movement they have this you, you know major league hacking yeah. right yep yeah. yeah yeah so so they had this big major league hacking event at the university of pittsburgh and they realized oh shit, we don't have any any women like no one's coming and they were thinking like okay so what can we do about this what they decided to try is they did an all-female hackathon like a month before, and the teams, they, then they found that the teams that went there were people that mostly had never gone to a hackathon before, but there they felt sort of comfortable of coming yeah. because they thought, hey, here I'm sort of among a group of whatever I perceive as like-minded people. Yeah. 
And then the teams that were good there and that sort of got some confidence boost, they went together to the main hackathon. Yeah. So, I mean, there are ways of doing this kind of stuff. I think we just have to be more aware about, you know, which mechanisms work and which don't. Yeah, and it's and, and like like we said, it, it falls a lot on the facilitator. Like, I I do think naturally every single group naturally comes in with their biases and they come in with their culture. And but when you bring all these people into a melting pot, there's going to be natural conflict, and it has to be on the facilitator to iron things out. And there's gonna you know when I when I and I never realized this. I I. Maybe two years ago, I entered, it was London Fintech Week, and I had maybe, there was two guys on my team, and there was four women, and that was the first time I had majority women on my team, and I started to observe the difference in how the engagement occurs. When I'm in the guy teams, it's mostly, not necessarily combative, but it's really direct in ideas, like, no, this idea is not good because of this, this, and this. And it's almost we we overlook the nuance of communication. But then when I was in the women team, there, there was nuances in communication that was really important. Like how you said something or how you responded to someone's idea if you didn't think it was that good or you think you should go in another way is super important when I was in the women's team. It wasn't as important when I was in the men's teams. And, but it also takes you really like being in, in that environment to really kind of understand that and just appreciate that. It's just a different way of communicating. And I'm not saying all women are like that. I'm just saying like there are very, there are differences between groups that you have to observe and appreciate and you have to understand when coming to, I, I don't think it's just these events. Well, one of the reasons I like the hackathon, because I think it's the two day event is like a micro a, a micro environment of what's going on in corporations what's going on in governments i think about united nations you get all these different leaders that sit at a table and try and make agreements and i feel like the same conflict that's happening in hackathons is happening at those big tables with some of the smartest people in the world of course because it is it's basically what's happening it's sort of human dynamics right yeah. i mean there's it's it's as, as you said, it's sort of a compressed team environment. This is what I this is what I'm currently trying to to sell to some of <laughs> to some of some other colleagues. That it's yeah. like, look, don't think about the hackathon in terms of just a bunch of people coming together that randomly cobble together some shit because they want to win some headphones. Yeah. No, it's it is it's it's really an, an environment where you can see how teams work together. Yeah. It's it's an environment where you can see how they set rules of engagement, how they how they perceive technology, how different opinions yeah. get valued and how they do stuff together in general in a very compressed time yeah. period. So but, but even, from, from even that perspective, even, it's an interesting interesting case to, to study. Even even then, the prizes. Motivation is, is a key in group dynamics. Whether you're giving away a PlayStation 5 or just some Alexa some Alexa um, the the little voice the voice boxes they have that matters. I, I spoke to an organizer in Malaysia and it, they were running an internal hackathon. I'm not sure if you heard of Carousel. He was working for Carousel at the time. It's, one of, yeah. it's almost a unicorn in, in Asia. I think it's Malaysian-based or Singaporean. And, but they have developers all throughout Asia. 
and they held a hackathon to bring them all into the same place. But when they got to the prizes, an iPhone for the Singaporeans is is a normal prize. The iPhone for the Malaysians, that's a really big prize. And they're saying that's something they had to think about. And that comes back to motivation. And again, coming back to the companies, how are you motivating teams? The Facebook like button was made from a hackathon. When you talk, I was researching about Apple. Some of the... Well, the first Apple iPhone, they had held hackathon-style events to produce that product. You're seeing hackathons happening all the time. It's just, I, I don't know. Like you said, I think maybe it's the name. Maybe it's the marketing. This is why I do the podcast and the blog, to try and change the narrative of these kind of collaboration events. It's, it's, it's also, I think... I think part of the problem of marketing is also so to give you a bit of background about uh, about how hackathons are mainly here perceived in Estonia. As I said, I moved I moved from I I was in the states where hackathons were really like a sort of student civic tech type thing at least yeah. in in Pittsburgh, and I moved here where hackathons are almost exclusively entrepreneurial events. Mm. Where it is about like, hey, we have this, I don't know, we organize a, a hackathon in the space of uh, cybersecurity. So the goal is come here, have a cool idea, develop your startup afterwards. So the prices also are sort of geared towards that. You don't win any headphones, but what you win instead yeah. is like, I don't know, participation in an accelerator program or all sorts of other stuff, right? Yeah. But just changing the theme of the event and the sort of goal of what you're doing sort of changes the, 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 the whole dynamic of the thing. Yeah. Right. So I think, I think it really also matters how you market it from that perspective, because for example, I did a study on actually looking at who participated in the hackathon in Estonia versus who founded a company. Because the way that we say that is always like, Hey, come here, you have your, you have your idea, come here, and this is your first thing that you take as a step towards building your own startup. All the people that have had a startup, for, the, for those it was not true. They had a startup, and then they went to a hackathon. Yeah. <laughs> so we're building expectations that are not even realistic. Yeah. So then you don't only have the problem that there is no impact, it's also that people go there and they think, hey, this is what's going to happen here, and then it doesn't happen. And they're disappointed, and they're like, oh, fuck this, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> Yeah. So so it's also it's also kind of setting the expectations of the participants to say, okay, look, this is what you can expect and this is what you can't expect. I think it's very tough and me speaking to organizers, I've opened their eyes because I I've said to them, Oh, other organizers are doing it like this and there hasn't been organizers are not speaking to each other. They're not speaking to researchers like you. They just come along and say, Okay, we we wanna do this or they might hire a company that specialize in doing hackathons but that that model alone the carry through i think is very interesting because i've entered a lot of hackathons and the promise is you will get mentorship if you win you get mentorship and you might if you're lucky go on some accelerator and usually they have investors as judges and the investors are looking at it from the standpoint, are any of these going to be the next Uber, Facebook, Twitter? And the chances are, at a hackathon, maybe none of them. It's most likely none of them will be that, that, that unicorn startup. But to have a successful business, it doesn't have to be that unicorn startup. And that's where I think, in, I think expectations 
and and I'm not sure if this is puppet, uh, this is pushed by the organizers or this is pushed by culture. The expectation is go to Hackathon, produce this amazing product. In a couple months' time, we'll get funded and we'll be this amazing startup. Right. And that is definitely not realistic. To, to, to your point, I find even the other way around more often. So that, I mean, number one, I think if you do a competitive style event, you have to be really clear about what the expectations are, what the judging is going to be, and what the result is going to be. Because the, so from this even from these emails that I've sent out for this survey, the only responses that I got were number one, they were extremely positive, and number two, the only complaints that came back were that oh, if I would have known that the people would get the prices that basically already have a product <laughs> and they just dressed it up nicely for yes. the hackathon, then I wouldn't have participated. <laughs> Right, so this is this is this this, this, this is important because we, yeah. we burn people, right? I yeah. mean, we are we, we're telling them all this amazing stuff, and then they come there and they feel cheated. Yeah. So of course they're not going to come again, right? And then the other thing is, I don't even think that anyone is looking for this unicorn startup. Most of the most of the the experience that I've had with corporate hackathons and with entrepreneurial hackathons was that the project that actually lived on afterwards were sort of tiny, teeny little bits of additions of stuff that was already there. Yeah. So like, I don't know, in, in this Microsoft hackathon, they built a little feature that would fit very well to another existing product. Awesome. They grabbed it, attached it, done. Done and dusted, see you later, right? That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So these things live on because all the other stuff is, yeah, I don't know. It's, it looks nice, but it doesn't really do anything. So you have this disparity also between the things that have a chance to live on are the small things, but the things that are going to win are the big things because it has yeah. to look shiny. It doesn't have to be, you know, tiny and like fitting to something else. So this is, I mean, it's just a very interesting dynamic. And But it doesn't have to be like that. And, and again, this is why I had the podcast to kind of sh share the stories. Like we, I think, I think tech as a whole, there, I don't think there's nothing with, wrong with having this kind of dream image and, having this level of idealism but i think tech as a whole and the kind of business now has taken it to a point where we're just not realistic about business or we're not realistic about the outcomes or what's being done or yes this person might win but actually the person there's a team their team's amazing and with a couple tweaks of their idea they have an amazing business and the the hacker form does I think it can support that. I think it's a good yeah. start, but maybe maybe right now as it is, we're not thinking seriously enough about what we're doing at hackathons. I mean, one of the one one of the things that I find that I find striking in the in the tech industry in general, you have this sort of huge disparity between how you sell a product and what it actually can do. <laughs> yeah. Be because like I mean, everything has to be marketed as this, this, oh, we're going to change the world with this kind of stuff. And you just know that it doesn't. So it's, it's especially in the startup world, it's almost, it's almost more important to have a good story than actually having a good product. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, you, you have me there. I, I totally, totally agree. So, but I mean, one of the one of the things that that we are basically trying to do at this point, I can just so this this is the first version of it. Right? Okay. Just don't 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 take that for this is the final. This what it's finally going to be. But we are actually like we're trying to develop a website 
where people can go that actually want to organize a hackathon and that don't know how and don't know the pitfalls. Yeah. Because I also found that most of the organizations that specialize in organizing these events, it's almost like their event organizing businesses. Yes, they, they are. are. They, they are. It, they it are. doesn't matter if they organize a hackathon or if they organize a concert. They, yeah. they basically do the same thing. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, the main focus is on, oh, we have to get the marketing straight. We have to get our social media campaign. Oh, we need sponsors and all that kind of stuff, which is true for any type of event. But then they kind of forget sort of the underlying dynamics of what is going on in, in the hackathon itself. Right. Like, so, you said about, like you said about diversity, there's large parts of the community in London, the black developers, we have our own sub-communities. The LGBTQ community have their own sub-community. And you have developers in all these communities and we might not look on the channel that we might not look on dev post or we might not look on hackathons.com, but we look in our smaller kind of groups. And if, if the hackathon isn't advertising our smaller groups, we would never know about it and we will never go to it, which is, which is, which I personally believe that that strongly affects the nature of the hackathon, especially if you're talking about, some hackathons specialize in healthcare. And, you know, I, I went to a, ha- a hackathon that was specializing in solutions from solutions for Africa. It was in London, but it was about solutions for healthcare in Africa. And there was hardly any people from Africa at the hackathon. But that comes back to marketing. Yeah, and that's 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 also that that then comes also to like one of the things that we are also saying this planning kit. What we're trying to do is you have to be aware of how you, who you involve, right? So how do you recruit participants? Who do you involve as stakeholders? Because if you want to have a healthcare hackathon for Africa, you should better have some people there that know about healthcare in Africa. Yeah. Because otherwise, what's the fucking point? Yeah. <laughs> because we, I mean, it's like I've I've in, in in my in my research career I've I've uh, I've worked mainly with uh, elderly people, and the thing that you discover there is that everyone has an opinion about it, because everyone has their grandma. Like when you think <laughs> about an elderly person, you typically have your grandma or your grandfather or something in front of you, and you think, what would they do? Yeah. Right. But that's an extremely biased opinion about what is actually going on. So yeah. we had we, we were running tests and there were these two ladies coming there. One was like 88 and the other one was like 90 or so. And then we said, oh, yeah, this is specifically for elderly people. And the and the elderly person, the 88-year-old was like, I'm still young. She's the old <laughs> one. She was 90. So it's like... <laughs> but uh, you just... to, to that point, how many hackathons have you been to where you see anyone over maybe the age of 50 or anyone under the age of 18? So under the age of 18 is extremely difficult because you always need this, like mm-hmm. there needs to be this oversight and you, you need parent yeah. consent. So I think that is the thing where there are a lot of people shy away from inviting anyone below 18 because it just makes your, your sort of, I mean, what, what you need to do as an organization just makes it so much more complicated. But I have seen a bunch of a bunch of hackathons, but they were specifically organized for certain communities where people participated that were forty, that were fifty. Yeah, I've done a ton of hackathons together with the high performance computing community. Don't ask me how that connection came <laughs> together. I still don't quite understand how that happened. But anyway, so and what their goal really was to attract people to come to to like work for them. So they were specifically looking for minorities. They were specifically mm-hmm. looking for experienced programmers that had already some experience maybe in different fields yeah so they pulled pulled up these these events and um 
there the recruitment really went through other channels, as you said. For example, we had one professor with us that had been in this. Um, uh, do, do you know? Do you know where Elizabeth City is? No, I'm not too sure. So I think it's it's yeah, I always forget if it's in North or in South Carolina. Anyway, so this is a, this is a predominantly black school, okay. and they have this 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 sort of this program that they're trying to support predominantly black communities. Yeah. Anyway, so she was very instrumental in sort of pushing this this agenda, and she really recruited in those circles because she she knew all these people because she was working at that school and. You know, she had the connections to actually pull this off, yeah. which I don't. I for myself wouldn't have had because, as you said, yeah. I'm not part of that community, obviously. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit more about some of your ideas? I I read your paper on uh, where you was talking about using the evolution of collaboratively collaboratively created artifacts as an indication for collaboration processes. Yeah. Or progress. So I mean, one of the one of the one of the interesting parts of what we're currently trying what we're currently trying to do is basically, I mean, so I to yeah, I have I have to take a little bit of a bigger round for that. Um, my background is actually in collaboration. So what I've been doing mainly was to look at how do people work together. That was sort of my core first background. If you look at my papers, this is what they're all basically yeah. about: people doing stuff together. And one of the things that is always difficult is, as you said, you need good facilitation. But how does a facilitator become a good facilitator? You need a ton of experience, and there is very little support. You need to have this feeling. You need to go around and you need to sense, oh, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong there. And I think using some of the artifacts that people create and the way that they create them can give us hints towards here is something that is going wrong, maybe we should point the facilitator towards this this group or people to have a closer look. I'm not I'm not saying that the that the technology will actually like provide you with a solution, but it can help you guide. Because the other problem is if you think about good facilitation, this is really only possible in a small event. Yeah. Like think think about think about the global hack. Yeah. Twelve thousand participants. Online. I, think, I think I entered that one, and that was the one I entered. I, what track was I in? I think I was in the, the crisis response track. And when you talk about people already having solutions, when I looked at the ones that won, I was like, wait, they're startups that are funded. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... But, but, but yeah, in, in any way, so in, in, a, in an environment like that, how are you supposed to work as a facilitator without external guidance? It's basically not possible. Yeah. So you need some form of support. And I was thinking maybe we can use some of the artifacts that are being created in the way that people talk with each other in order to actually do that. Okay. And yeah, there is like this paper is basically talking about a first approach of trying to do this because it was a very specific context, right? These people yeah. were developing something together and it was focusing on when should we stop developing this together and start actually implementing what we've just done? Yeah. You can sort of apply that to, to probably software engineering as well. So when you talk about corporations or when we think about that and we are trying to apply it to corporations, do you think corporations need a third party facilitator to, you know, Apple and Google and Netflix pride themselves on innovation, but yeah. I'm sure their managers and their internal innovators are too close 
to be able to really facilitate in innovation. And there's also a bias just being being inside the organization, right? Right. So this is this is why, and that's where hackathons also come into play. This is why there is so much buzz around this open innovation, because you 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 become blind. You really become blind to 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 sitting in the same company all over again. I don't know if you have ever heard or read this book that was is called Fumbling the Future. No, I haven't. So do you are you are you aware of of uh, this research institution that was around a long time ago? It was called Xerox Park. No. So this is a this this in this research institution they developed the first word processor, the mouse, the internet. Is that where um, is that where Steve Jobs took? I'm not sure if it's Steve Jobs, but the initial computers were taken. The concepts and the ideas were taken from this research institution. Yeah. Yes. So basically, what this was, I mean, Xerox is a photocopier company. Yeah. They were at that time, anyway, right? And they decided, hey, we want to be a little bit more innovative. So they had this 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 group of people to just go wild and develop something. And they basically developed the first personal computer with everything that we know so far. They did all the networking stuff. They did this word processor shit. They did uh, the the mouse stuff. They did everything. Like everything you know about <laughs> modern like personal computing was yeah. developed. The origins were developed there. Yeah. Never got funded, and Xerox almost went bust. This would have been the biggest the biggest corporate success story in the entire history of mankind if they would have done that. At it's that kind of time. on the same level as as this as this IBM guy said. I I think that the general number of computers that we need in the world, a personal computer, is six. It's 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 sort of on, on on that level. And the main problem was that they just didn't see what they had. They were so stuck with their business model and their idea of what we are making money on and what we're not making money on that they couldn't see the potential of what was lying ahead of them. So they just didn't use it. So is that a divergence? So the and and this comes a little bit back to hackathons. So hackathons are almost like a pure art. It's just creating. People just come together to create. In the business context, though, now you have to think about all these different things. You have to think about marketing channels. You have to think about PR. You have to think about strategy. Is there a divergence between, you know, the team that created it have to at some point pass on what they created and it has to be understood by the business team? If the business team can't understand it, then it never is never gonna reach its potential like it didn't. So this is this this is another problem, um, especially if you're talking about a big corporation. I don't I don't know if you've if you've read my paper on this Microsoft hackathon, but um, there the effect basically was that these five teams we studied, two of them, the projects actually got continued, like in terms of actually being implemented as real products, but none of the people that invented them at the hackathon were part of the continuation. Mm. Because there you have another problem. You have the problem of allocating resources. If you just stay within one company, the the, the thing has to be built. So someone has to say, look, we're going to give this developer time away to continue developing this. And then you have the manager that actually like hosts these people is the people are part of their team. And he's saying, look, but my, my bonuses, and the work that I have to do here depends on these people working full time for me. So you have this resource allocation problem, right? So even yeah. if you are not in the in the field where you have to develop a nice story, 
around your your prototype to sell it to a, I don't know some investors or whatever. Even within a company, you have that problem. We're currently I'm currently working on a paper that we, we we've done a longitudinal study on a small company. Well, small. It's one of the unicorns here in Estonia, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> But they still, they, they still consider themselves a startup, which is why I constantly say they're small, small but whatever. So they uh, they basically did a hackathon, especially for internal innovation. And they said, look, the first price is you can continue working on this project. Half a year after the hackathon, they still hadn't continued working on this project because they couldn't figure out how to get the resources straight. Because they underestimated the problem that you have with resource allocation when you have people from different teams work together on this hackathon project, and then all of a sudden you want to push this as a regular project down your product pipeline in parallel to everything that is happening already. So is this what will always give way? What Where I see this going is maybe Google, Apple, Facebook internally cannot, because of the size and scale, they cannot allocate the resources to really do pure innovation, but they can always buy someone. They can always... There's going to be some startup somewhere. There's going to be like a bunch of kids, a team of five or ten in the middle of nowhere working on something that's really, really powerful. And all they have to do is wait till it gets to a certain point and buy them. And that that will always it's that it seems like that would always happen. There is no there. I can't say there is no way for that small team to scale because we see small teams scale on all the time. Maybe not as frequent as we should see it, but we see small team scale. But that's limited to capital. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, in the end, in the end, it all comes down to resources, right? Yeah. Because the other thing is that um, you see, you see this hackathon crowd kind of working in a similar way as the people that contribute to Wikipedia. Yeah. As you said yourself, this is a, this is sort of a certain phase in your life that you typically devote to these to these types of things. I don't know, because you're still in school, yeah. because I don't know, you have some more free time right now, but then something else happens and you you cannot put this time into this stuff anymore because all of a sudden you think, oh, I just bought a house, I need to pay for the mortgage, so I better find a safe job, or I don't know, whatever it might be. Yeah. You, you, you All of a sudden you have a bunch of kids or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But these, these it always depends on the resources that you can put. As, as, as a person. And then we also know that if you look at the startup ecosystem, the, the, the first idea never makes it to market. Even, it doesn't matter how great you think your idea is, there always needs to be tweaks. So people have to go and revisit and come back and sort of do it again. And I think a lot of people and a lot of ideas just get lost in this sort of first circle just because people are prematurely giving up for whatever reason. And so I would ask you, like, we spoke a lot about tech. My my biggest thing about hackathons is not tech-specific. It's, like you said, collaboration and innovation not in relation to tech, innovation in relation to problem-solving. So when we look at monetary policy, when we look at gender equality, when we look at the real issues going on in our world on a global scale, do you think it's the same problems that occur? Like I mentioned previously about the UN and when the leaders sit together and they try and agree and they can't agree, is it the same problems that's that's occurring? You mean you mean in, in the hackathon as compared to the rest of the world? Yeah. So and I, I we was just talking about some 
for example, Facebook is difficult for Facebook to, yeah, maybe they can hold a hackathon, but they can't, the one, there's a lot of great ideas that are just going to go to the wayside. And two, they cannot allocate resources effectively. Maybe you take the British government or you take the EU and it's, it's the same kind of thing. You can probably bring together researchers across universities to come up with ways to quote unquote save the EU. But will that idea be able to be pushed forward by the European Union? This is this this is very interesting because um, part of what I've done before was also in the realm of creativity. And when you look into creativity literature, what you see is that the 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 quality of a creativity technique is almost exclusively measured by how many ideas are being developed, which I think is a stupid measure because it. It's not that we don't have enough ideas. We're just not good at selecting the ones that are good enough, and we're not good at pushing those through. That yeah. is the main problem. I mean, I can I can come up with 15 ideas today, but the problem is, like, which one do I commit to? Which one is the one that I choose? Because, again, limited resources, right? I mean, my time is limited. I can't do everything that I want to do. So in, in and you're going to end up with, with this decision to say, okay, this is worth pushing forward, and this is worth pushing forward. And we are we are trying to squeeze this point into the shortest time period possible because, well, if it doesn't work in the first place, then it might not work in the future. But that's a bit of a mistake. Yeah. I mean, hackathons help a little bit because at least what you do there in terms of in terms of the, the development of something is you don't only talk about an idea, but you actually take some steps to do it, yeah. which is great. Because that means that you will encounter some problems and you will have some ideas about, you know, how to continue. But then on the other hand, you have the problem that you are being forced into developing something extremely quickly. Although you should probably have studied the problem before a little bit more. It's like this, uh, I don't know, developing healthcare for Africa, right? Yeah. I mean, they develop probably some great technical solutions that the people in Africa then are going to say, that's amazing. But if you would have talked to us, you would have realized that this is really stupid and not what we need. Yeah. And I guess I guess there there is a big difference though in I mentioned government entities or you can take the pharmaceutical industry or highly regulated industry because the competition's reduced. You know, in in for I mean you can argue against competition with Facebook and Google, but because they're in they're in sectors that are very competitive, if they don't select the right ones, someone else is gonna select the right right idea. You know, Xerox don't have to select it, select, um, they don't have to push their idea, but someone else is going to select it. And ultimately that idea is, or some idea that's good is going to move forward. When you talk about governments or when you talk about coalition of governments, or when you talk about, you can talk about the oil industry or certain industries where there's a lot less competition. That's not the case, is it? Yeah, that is, that, is, that is true. But if you look at the tech sector, there's not much competition either. Mm. I mean, if you, if, if, like we, 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 are, we are living in a, in, in a time where there's a lot of consolidation, right? And even when you, when you look a bit into um, the entrepreneurial ecosystem and into the startups, this is actually a legit plan, right? I mean, the legit plan is not necessarily, I build a company that I then will own and run. The legit plan is oftentimes I build something that's afterwards being bought off by Facebook and I'm going to be a millionaire and fuck off to the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So 
Yeah. This, you right, know, so, we, we, so... we talk about that. We, me and my tech friends joke about that because one of the questions, you know, that comes up in when you're watching startup TV shows or when you're watching Dragon's Den or whatever is like, when are you going to exit? Or if you're talking to VCs, when are you going to exit? And then you think about the founders of Facebook, Twitter, and all these startups, they haven't exited. The biggest, the biggest startups, they haven't exited, or at least not after 20 odd years. Right. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a difficult question and we will probably not be able to answer anyway. Right. But yeah. so I, I, I also see like talking about this, this innovation and you've mentioned that before as well is I see hackathons as more than just a, we sit together and redevelop the next big tech startup thing. Yeah. Because I think there's a legitimate chance of exposing people to something that they that they have not experienced before, like, for example, this programming aspect. And I also think there's a legit chance of bringing people together that normally wouldn't probably work together. I had this 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 conversation with a, with with a woman at one hackathon that said, "Look, I'm from the I'm from the marketing department. And I decided to participate in this hackathon." And all my friends in the marketing department told me, what are you going there for? You're not a tech person. So why, why did you even go there? And then the, the tech people, they were like, oh, finally, we have a marketing <laughs> person. So we need it all the time because yeah. we can develop the technology, but we can't tell anyone how amazing <laughs> it is because we simply don't know how. Yep. Right? So, and, not, and then she was like, now I'm going to go back to all my friends in the marketing department and say like, hey, they were really happy to see me there and maybe you should come next time as well, right? So it's also yeah. this... But sort of I'm, I'm always I'm always confused. Where does that come from, though? I don't know where that 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 philosophy originates. In me as a tech person, I know technology is about at least software development, hardware development. It's about the way you think about problems. the The way we get there is just the way we get there. But the way we think about it is what allows us to get you know to to produce a website or produce an app because we have thought about all these logical things. But I, from, I don't think from the outside, they see software development as more a philosophy than a hard... To, at least to me, it's more philosophy than, it's a, than it is a hard skill. The, this is, I, I don't know, I guess this, this goes back to this stereotype that all the software developers are sitting in their basement uh, yeah. with, a, with a can of Red Bull <laughs> next to them coding at four o'clock at night. Right, so yeah. that's, that's 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 I guess part of the issue. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. The, the the other problem is is really, like, I mean, what you what you expect from each other. I always said that as a computer scientist, you are the sort of ultimate little helper, mm-hmm. because never does compute. No one does computer science, or at least if you're not a mathematician, you don't do computer science for computer science sake. Yeah. You do it as you said because you are supporting somebody else to solve a problem that they might have. Yeah. Or you develop something that helps them to be more efficient, to do other things, right? So it's it's not self-contained anyway. So it's by definition, you have to be able to collaborate with all sorts of people. Because otherwise, it's not going to work. How are you going to develop a software for something? Or are you going to develop anything for something if someone if you don't understand what that someone needs and what that someone does? And I guess that leads into my next question, more about academia. Especially now with, with COVID. Academia is being tested right now. Do you think there's going to be a transformation in academia and the way things are taught? Do you think, like, we, we talk about, we've spoken about, a lot about collaboration, but naturally, academia is really siloed. 
at least after you get past your core classes. Yeah, yes. Well, I mean, it's not only siloed from the student perspective; it's also siloed from the from the faculty perspective, yeah. and that partly has to do with with all these little communities that we have to be akin to in order to get our funding, in order to get you know promotion and that kind of stuff. But um, I mean, there are efforts to do to do this kind of stuff, right? I mean, for example, I teach a course on human computer interaction that probably some would argue, why do you even need that in a computer science curriculum? They don't they don't need to know how to how people interact with stuff. They don't need to know how to build their fancy algorithms. <laughs> so, I mean, it's and, and the other thing is that academia, as any school system, is extremely slow to react to any changes anyway because you have all these rigid structures that are really hard to break up. So, I mean, we, we, we have to rethink how we're doing things. And I think like coming from Germany, this whole COVID thing has led to more <coughs> digitalization, what before people were talking about, but no one was doing it. Yeah. So now they were sort of forced in doing it. So there is kind of like a forced external sort of motivation to do things differently. I'm not entirely sure if we're doing them right though. <laughs> because what because what I mean what, what we're currently doing basically and you can read all over on the internet about that is basically everyone is sort of winging it a little bit yeah because I mean I'm building a class based on what I think is right but I am not an expert on on uh, online learning yeah as as most people are not so, I'm, I'm in an instructional instructional design I think it's called instructional design Facebook group and the people I, I didn't know there was people that specifically make online courses and in a scientific way, but it's learning and learning they like they really think hard about how people are engaging digitally when it comes to learning. And I yeah. think I, it's a, I think it's a missed opportunity for even the, the top universities worldwide. Yeah, I mean, so it's 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 an entire academic field, right? Yeah. I mean, where where people talk about, I mean, I think it started as e-learning, but now you have all these massive online courses yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a ton of research and a ton of practice going on around that, but now all of a sudden everyone is being forced into being an e-learning specialist <laughs> without having the proper training for that and yeah. without having the proper resources. So you you on on the one hand, you of course you need the technical resources. That is one thing. Right, because all of a sudden people need to have access to all this technology, and you need to learn how to use it. That's one thing, which as a computer scientist is not that hard. But then on the other hand, of course, you need to change the way that you teach, because how do we teach typically? We're standing in front of a group of people for one and a half hours and talk at them. Yeah. Try that online. <laughs> no one, no one is watching a one and a half hour video. I mean, seriously, it's yeah. just not happening. And no one's so, even. I've seen interesting uh, videos of, especially at the younger ages, and the young kids nowadays are uh, they know how to use technology really well. It looks like they're there online listening, and no, they might have just taken a photo and stuck a photo against the camera, or they're doing some really creative way to make it seem like they're there, but they're not really there listening. <laughs> Which in my book deserves some bonus points anyway, because there at least some social, some ingenuity. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah anyway i mean this 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 is an this is an issue that that i think we have to deal more with than we currently do and we are trying to at the same time we, we're trying to continue as planned while we know that it doesn't really work in that way so we're sort of seamlessly trying to adapt at the same time and i mean 
only time will tell how good of a job we did. Because the other problem is when when you do something wrong in, I don't know, you build your algorithm wrong, you press a button and you see it doesn't do the right thing. When you teach people, the effect of teaching people badly, you see that in 20 years. Yeah. You don't see that now. You see that later at some point in time. So also the, the cycle of sort of innovation is naturally very slow just because it's difficult to, you know, see it. That's unless, I guess that's unless, so we're moving more to the gig economy. Like I've, I've been freelancing for a year and X amount of months, probably like six months now. And if these companies are downsizing and you're going to see people bouncing around companies, it's going to be more project based. Right. And maybe you'll be, be able to see more immediately whether these people actually have the skills that they were meant to acquire in their education. Well, I mean, this, this, this is the, I mean, that's, that's another thing. Like how do we, how do we structure work? Because um, you can do gig economy and you can do all these tiny little work tasks and move around if you have really confined, defined spaces of where you say, I need this, this yeah. is what I need, that's my feature, right? Then yeah. you can do that. If you're building complex stuff where you might not even know, like, if I build this, what effect might that have there? If I build that, what effect might that have there? Then that's much more difficult because there you need people that really truly have a deep understanding of the system, like if we only talk about the technology, and you can't acquire that by hiring someone for six months. Yeah, that's not possible, right? So I guess that depends also also on on that on that on that perspective. Like um, you were you 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 were talking in, in in your email about sort of having, or we also talked about that here about having a lot of contacts to different to different organizers. Yeah, I also think one of the sort of main understudied aspects mm-hmm. of hackathons is that most people talk to the participants. But you don't really talk to the organizers that much, and that's interesting. And one of the things that I hope, hmm? yeah, that's interesting because I've mainly taught, spoken to organizers, and I'm having to actively find participants and speak to participants, and it's just they have to be of a certain level though, because, or, there's some people I can speak to, speak to about their experience, and they might have not thought about it enough. So I have to really kind of bring stuff out of them, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, of course, it's like you went there, and it is an experience, but putting it into words is a different question. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think yes. the organizers, organizers have been more strategic, and obviously they plan the whole event, so they know. Oh, I did this because of this, and this didn't work because of this. But yeah, but. I'm not sure if you're in your research, you've spoken to uh, mentors and judges too. So you have those, those yeah. four stakeholders. You have the participants, you have the organizers, you have the mentors and the judges and sponsors. If you, if you really, and sponsors might be an interesting thing to research, like what decisions go into what events they sponsor? So I mean, for, for for me, these sponsors are sort of overlapping with the other groups that you that you mentioned before, right? Because I mean, if a, if if a sponsor gives me a thousand bucks to buy a couple of a couple of headphones, then I say thank you, put them there, put the logo, done and dusted, right? That's it. But it becomes more interesting when the st- when the sponsors are more sort of stakeholders and they come to and bring problems that people can work on. They come as 
mentors they come as judges that's where it becomes more interesting because then you have to think about how to involve them yeah. and considering the mentoring we just we just published a paper on that actually on on the aspect of how do you mentor people that come to a hackathon that don't really know about what they're going to use there because we like when we when we think about hackathons we kind of think about teams that go there and they work on something they sort of know yeah. because the the, the, the the assumption is that the team is self-contained and just needs a little bit of support. But if you want to interest people into a new field that they don't know about, that is not enough. No. So we have basically done a couple of studies around how do you deploy mentors in order to allow teams that don't know about the domain and don't know about the technologies that are being used to actually work in a hackathon together. And I don't believe so, I saw that um, on your LinkedIn page. What have been your main insights from the mentor's standpoint? So, so the, 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 mentor, the mentor role is a very interesting one because um, we, have, we have seen different sort, of, different sort of types of how they, how they approached their teams. And one of them, for example, it was extremely successful in the sense that the teams were really happy with the mentor and also the product was nice, was actually someone that really sort of stood back and said, look, it's your project, you will do it. I'm only here to tell you, oh, this might not work, this might work. I'm also not giving you any solutions for anything. I'm just telling you, look, look here, there might be a solution for that, right? So they really sort of obtained a teacher role. Because the other problem that you have is if you have a mentor that is invested in that project that this team is currently doing, it's very hard for them to hold back and not become a project manager. Because that's, that's yeah. what some of them did. They really tried to sort of pull the projects like, okay, so now we're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. And that, of course, didn't work because then the people were like, is that supposed to be my project? If I want someone bossing me around, I can just go to school or talk <laughs> yeah. with my boss or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, but I can, I can, I can send you that. It's, it's just out. It's like it came out like two weeks ago or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it, <clears throat> the mental aspect is super. The mental and judging aspect for me. It's I've I've interviewed a couple, but I need I've it's mainly been organizers for me, and the mental and judging aspects is particularly interesting because, like you said, if they are too enthusiastic about the project, they become a project manager, and you said assume a teacher role, which I believe that's what a teacher should be, but maybe the the that's what a teacher should be, but in many situations the teacher is not teachers in many universities and many schools are not telling you look here look here they're telling you do this they're more like project managers at a hackathon than just giving you slight guidance and telling you oh maybe you should look here maybe you should try this and yeah. maybe maybe that's a skill in itself and i i i haven't come across any organizers organizers that have trained their mentors they have more just got industry people and said, look, you know, you know about AI or you know about, I don't know, finance or you know about the banking industry. Yeah, you'll be good. Yeah, because because the other problem is, of course, if you want to get experts that come there, they have to volunteer their time for this as well. Right. right? And these are busy people. It's not like you know, no. you're, you're, you're having someone that is sitting home all day and just waiting for something <laughs> to do. Right. Yeah. So. So kind of like it also goes a little bit with the incentive because part of what you give them is kind of like, hey, yeah, you have some people that work on a project that might be interesting to you. So kind of balancing this is also a little bit, yeah, that's, that's, that's also, also a challenge. And they, they, was, I spoke to an organizer about the judges too. 
So the way and the way the judging is is very very different at each hackathon. So I've interviewed a startup and they use their customers as judges. So like you mentioned um with the startup that that you worked with and you researched, they did an internal hackathon, but they use their yeah. customers to judge which solutions are best and they went with the solutions that the customers have chosen as judges of the hackathon which is an interesting it is it makes sense to me but it's not it's not the way i think most people would have thought to run an internal hackathon i mean the the the, the one of the main problems with the judging i always find is that it's it's not it's not clear what the judging is about and what is going to be judged as what so it's it's very difficult no i mean it's it's not because people don't want to it is because it's actually very difficult yeah. to write down judging criteria and stick to them that are not based <laughs> on oh i feel this is cool <laughs> yeah. right because the person that sits next to you might not feel that this is cool just yeah. you know because you're using different different criteria so that's that's that, that's slightly yeah that's some slightly some different. events some events have done like a um science fair style judging so they have their judges uh, I was in Berlin, maybe, I don't think it was, it might have been December for the TechCrunch um, hackathon. And they did a sci- uh, science fair style judging. They had the judges, but they were going round. And mm-hmm. they, they would look at a couple of things. One of the things at this particular hackathon they looked at is the use of the particular APIs and the code. They actually wanted to look at the code. And I don't know how in depth they look at it. How how in depth can you look at it in a couple of minutes? But they wanted to see some kind of code and they wanted to see something working, and that that's interesting. I spoke to uh, another organizer and he said when he organizes events, he wants people to leave with something. Game for example, if I go to a hackathon and you're giving away, I don't know, you're giving away Beats headphones for the prize yeah i might have won the prize and it's it's i'm a i I wouldn't call myself a hackathon expert but i go to hackathons all the time and when i go to a hackathon you know i've been to hackathons before but maybe that prize would be better given to someone that's new that is just this is their first hackathon to encourage them into software or to encourage them into going to more hackathons and the organizer spoke from that standpoint like sometimes in deliberation, they don't just think about the criteria, they think about the impact the prize will have on the personal group. How far did they come from the beginning to the end? Right, this is, this is why we, we typically, um, when, when, we, when we sort of guide organizers to, you know, try to do it this way, maybe, that's why we tell them you should be, you should be clear about what you want. What is it that this hackathon is supposed to achieve for you? Yeah. What what do you what, what what do you want to have? Because depending on what goal you have, it can be extremely different. Yeah. Right. So if you I don't know the the the, the easiest example is always um, innovation hackathon versus networking hackathon. Right. In an innovation hackathon, you want the competition, you want to see that people uh, develop the coolest ideas and the greatest stuff. While in a in a networking hackathon you want people to get to know each other so you will spend more time on social events that you know have breaks in between little games stuff like yeah. that right so and and then in the same vein if, if your aim is to sort of encourage people to come again be open about it 
right? Because yeah. because the worst thing that can happen then afterwards is if you have this team that developed this really amazing thing, but you don't give them the prize because you feel that the other team might be, you know, coming more often to your hackathon, but you didn't tell people that that was one of your judging criteria, the other people will feel ripped off. Yeah. I mean, rightfully so, right? And That's the interesting, the interesting thing that I've experienced at hackathons, it's not that just the team noticed that, everybody notices that. So if everybody, everyone typically knows the best kind of hacks, and if they don't win, it's it's kind of obvious to everybody, oh, that something has gone on, and yeah. I, <laughs> that negatively hurts your brand and maybe potential hackathons. And I guess the last right. thing I don't think we've spoken about is. Less about the core of hackathons, more about like facilitating, I guess, facilitating innovation. But from a standpoint of like, have you done much research or have much insight on like, for example, food? Like, for example, at some hackathons, if you give them pizza and Coke, you're going to get negative output at a certain time, especially if they have to stay up for 40, 48 hours. You know, by the evening, they're going to. They, they're going to run out of steam. Or if if there's no breakout rooms and it's just one complete open space, like some offices are nowadays, you don't give the team to go away and just self-contain themselves and work on their idea. And that can negatively affect the potential results. I mean, we, we, we have not done anything about the food. What we have done about is the duration of a hackathon. Because, I mean, that, that's a big discussion that is going on, right? Yeah. Is, it, is it a good idea to have these, like, 48-hour straight events? Or would you rather <coughs> sort of pull these 48 hours out to, I don't know, let's say three days or four days of, like, yeah. eight to 12 hours hacking, and then you have your time off in the evening? And I would say that it depends on the crowd, because if you, as we were talking about, if you want to attract 40 to 50-year-old people and you tell them, hey, it's going to be an overnight 48-hour event, they're going to be like, yeah, sounds great. Maybe I go somewhere else instead. <laughs> right? So that is, yeah. that is something that you can do with the college kids. And they might even like it. Yeah. But um, that, that might actually be counterproductive for, for, for other things. Also, if your goal is for people to get to know each other, you need to give them time to get to know each other, right? So there it might actually be helpful to say, look, now we stop hacking and now we all go together to, I don't know, this place where yeah. we're going to have some pizzas and some drinks and just hang out because your goal is for people to meet each other. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a discussion that I, I th really think depends on what you want to achieve with your event. And then you also have to be aware of, I mean, there's one side of what I want as the organizer. I've seen so many people that, that, that came and said, look, we want to organize a hackathon because we have this shitty piece of software here and we need someone to revamp it. So let's organize a hackathon. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, that's good for you, but why would people care about this? Why would they come? Right? It's not only about the goals of the organizer, it's also about the goals of the participants. Like, what do you want to do? And you have to be aware of that there are participants that have different goals. Like some might actually be legitimately interested in creating a startup, while a big a big bunch of them just come there because they have nothing better to do on the weekend. At least there is some free food. I always wanted to see what other people are working on. Like, I don't know, stuff, right? Yeah. 
So it's it's not only about what you want as an organizer; it's also about what you what what your participants want. And you can you cannot really decide for that. I mean, of course, you can do recruitment, you can do selection, all sorts of stuff, but people will still have agendas. They will still want to do what they want to do. And all of it, all of that comes under the co- the context of culture. So when you talk about Estonia, or you talk about London, or you talk about the US, or even Singapore, the culture strongly influences, you know, in London, yeah, you might be able to do a 48 hour. In Estonia, you might, you might want to, in the evening, they want to go to the bar. <laughs> Actually, they do 48 hour events here all the time. <laughs> Developers, developers, developers. Developers, developers, developers. Developers, developers, developers. Developers, developers, developers.